My name is Joshua Turpin. I'm your co-host. The other co-host, Abigail Williams, is not here currently because I split up the episode and they weren't available. Her name is Abigail Williams. We are two PhD students and we're walking you through how our understanding of the world has changed and as we continue to quote-unquote unlearn our childhood. So welcome to our journey. In the last episode, we quit at Rome conquering Judea, and so now we are moving on to that. So we'll start with discussing the Pharisees, a group of people who had power at the time, and how those were portrayed differently, and uh, we'll finish up several hundred years later. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the episode. Uh, we want to talk about the, the Pharisees at this point. No matter, like, like you read in the Christian Testament, uh, the Pharisees weren't great. Well, neither of them were great. Right. But from what I remember, like, the Pharisees were the hypocrites. Right. So here's where we get into Jewish tradition. The Pharisees are the group that survived the destruction of the temple in 70 CE. Hmm. The Sadducees, because they were like the big priestly family to an extent, like the big priestly group to an extent, mm-hmm. whenever the temple's destroyed, they have nowhere to go. Okay. The, the SNS in Qumran, they sort of just scatter, don't know what happened to them. So the Pharisees are what's left. So current Judaism is from the tradition of the Pharisees. Huh. Interesting. So so whenever you so whenever you hear in like the 1900s and the 1800s and the 1700s, biblical scholars would use this. As a re- this is what part of the reason why Jews were hated, is because oh, the Pharisees. Like the, the Pharisees. Yeah, because because we were taught to not like the Pharisees because the Pharisees were the um, the bad religious leaders and right. they were hypocrites and they're mm-hmm. the ones who got Jesus killed. Right, and so within that, explicit in the 1800s, 1700s, 1900s is and this is all is like the connection to current jews and this is uh, there were different forms of judaism the one that sort of like really became the ma- the dominant force is rabbinic judaism mm-hmm. and this connection is that the is this conversation about the oral torah and so tradition states that moses gave the torah the five books Mm-hmm. And then he also gave the oral Torah to the elders. And it was just passed down from people to people. And the Pharisees were the people who did the oral Torah. And you hear talk about the Pharisees being hypocrites and the Pharisees being all about controlling power and all these laws that they hadn't stated. Whitewashed tombs. Yes. So this is their oral Torah. And what it actually is, is it is it answers the questions that the Bible does not. So you are not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. You ask, what does work mean? So the Pharisees say, this is what work means. It's uh, oral Torah, and you get into this in the, the Mishnah and the Midrash. 
mm-hmm. where these people will say, oh, this rabbi said this, and he got this from this rabbi. And in theory, it goes all the way back uh, to the Pharisees. Okay. Who, who, in theory, and according to legend, go all the way back to Moses. So it's like we have the student's manual and the teacher's manual, and we have the student's manual, and we're like, what does this mean? And they have the teacher's manual, except it's the oral thing that they've like, you know, memorized. And so it's like we're supposed to ask the questions and we learn more from asking questions because mm-hmm. then we get answers. But we are just going, oh, yeah, this is what we have now. We only have half of it, basically. Right. That's the idea. OK. Um, but also, I should state that we all know and back then they knew that that's not what that, that's that wasn't true. It's just part of the legend around it. It was an appeal mm-hmm. to authority. OK. What the oral Torah actually was and is, is you say, okay, we have this issue and we have to deal with it. So we can shape it and we can answer it in a way that is helpful for people. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have, for instance, uh, in the Torah itself, uh, the daughters of someone, I don't remember who, Caleb, the daughters of Caleb don't receive an inheritance and he only had daughters and so moses says well you can get land too from him right this mm-hmm. this, this is not following the law of primogeniture that's first yeah born. caleb was one of the good spies right yes so that's sort of the idea is it's like oh in this moment this is a solution that is not answered in the actual Torah. Okay. So you say, uh, this is this is a big, this is a thing in the Christian Testament and the Gospels. Jesus is walking through the fields and yeah, on the Sabbath. And he eats and, grass, the, the yeah, wheat. He picks the wheat, wheat and eats it. Yeah. And so you you ask the, the Pharisees, if the Sabbath says we cannot work on the Sabbath, what does that mean? I am hungry and I am walking through a wheat field. And the rabbi and the Pharisees say, well, this person from saying from this person, son of this person said, this is an actual like thing that we know actually happened, Mm -hmm. Uh, like an actual law that existed, which is you are able to pick up to the the amount of grain up to two loaves of bread. That's a lot of grain. Yeah. That's a a heck of a lot of grain because that's not flour. That's that's everything around it yeah so so like you really aren't going to be able to carry that like all in your shirt you need like a bag for that right yeah that's that's a ton of grain so number one you have to ask yourself whenever the pharisees uh, talk to jesus and say you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to pick grain on the sabbath did that actually happen because we know that at the time pharisees were okay with picking up to the amount of grain up to two loaves of bread yeah, but okay, so so because the, the way the Bible definitely puts it is like they're like, you can't do that. Oh, yeah. you know, we're just trying to control everyone and we're the we know everything and look how much money I'm donating in the big clinkety clackety machine that makes all right. the noise. Right. That's not what the Pharisees were all for the people. That's totally not what we learned. We turned they were yeah. like all uppity type people, like no, the, they were the Zad, Sadducees. Yeah, they were wealthy in large part because you had to know how to read and you had to be, they were experts in this. Yeah. But they were for the people, largely, uh, with the temple being destroyed in 70 CE and the Pharisees really being the only Jewish group that survives that 
in Judea, there were other Jewish groups throughout the empire, but in Judea, mm-hmm. really the only people who survive. And Mark, who uh, is a Christian, and Christians are trying to separate themselves from the Jews in some way. And this is 40 years after Jewish died, writing right after the temple is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Maybe, just maybe, he is creating the straw man out of the Pharisees because they are the other surviving mm-hmm. Jewish group. Yeah. I can totally see how that could happen because definitely they are set up as a foil to Mm -hmm. like Jesus and Christians. They're like, this is what religion's not supposed to be is this. So it is like religion is not supposed to be the Pharisees. It's supposed to be Jesus, but we have it as in what is the religion? Oh, this is Judaism and this is Christianity. So we're supposed to be Christians and not Jews. Yeah. And then that discussion, just imagine like this being the first gospel that we have that is in the canon, how easily that turns to anti-Semitism as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, I know like we did, we didn't learn this part, but you know what we just talked about, but I know, do know we learned, um, how anti-Semitism was used and like, they're like, well, the Jews killed Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we can do X, Y, and Z. Okay. Cause I, I mean, I know that that's, you know, when we talk about like the one time we talk about world war two, mm-hmm. like history class, you know, yeah, like, you know, when we talked about right. the Holocaust and stuff, they're like, well, the Jews killed Jesus. So that's why they justified it. And then they weren't supporting it. As the teachers, you know, the total world too, they mm-hmm. did teach us that it was bad. We did learn their justification. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, that, that, that was actually a whole different thing. There were a whole bunch of other things. That's just one justification out of many. Yeah. Um, but that's that's crazy that it goes back all the way to the beginning. Yes. Of already setting, oh, we're different. Mm. Right. It, it goes all the, like, I, wow. I know Mark wasn't doing it as much. He was probably just like trying to separate himself from the Pharisees and like mm-hmm. Pharisees having the synagogues because they weren't tied to the temple. Yeah. And again, this is <laughs> just part of the history that we're not told. No, because it totally makes it seem more of like, oh, it's 100 percent true and accurate. And this is what it says when it's just like there's so much subtlety and nuance to why what was chosen and put in the Bible is chosen and why what we we know what we know and we're taught certain things and other information's left out right. because it it's it's in the fact that the Bible tells a story, it's also telling a specific story right. of the superiority of the Christian religion over the um contemporary religions of the time. Mm-hmm. And oof. and also remember in all of this. According to Jewish tradition, and as much as we're able to know, contemporary Judaism is from the Pharisees. And we'll we'll talk more about that later. Then the next part, returning to the destruction of the temple, Mm -hmm. uh, Josephus, who was a general in the rebellion, uh, gets gets defeated. My brother got on the name Josephus, I guess. He would say Josephus. He's like, Josephus. Anyways, so like... I named my Animal Crossing town in New Leaf, 
not New Leaf. Um, on the 3DS one, I named it Josephus. <laughs> I kept saying it all the time. Oh and it was definitely the Josephus you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I didn't know the context. I'm like, this word is stuck in my head. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> we. Yeah. Animal awesome. Crossing Town, Josephus. Awesome. This is the person you know about a little bit. Um, so uh, he was a general in the rebellion on the side of the Jews and he was defeated and uh, the Roman emperor is like hey you can be my friend um, and so he just funds Josephus's work and he's how we know a lot of what happened he, he writes Jewish antiquities he writes a whole bunch of books he, he's how we know about the SNS and Qumran yeah um, he's how we know outside of the Christian testament how we know, like, there were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Yeah, and he's used know. to back up a lot of research stuff. They're like, well, yeah. we know that this is true in the Bible because Josephus wrote it. Right. We yeah. have corroborating stories. Right. He's also evidence that, like, you know, uh, he, he lists a, a series of, like, sacred books. Not scripture, because it's not scripture yet. Mm. Um, I, sh- I should have said that. It's not scripture sacred yet. Texts. We'll get there. But, but they are sacred texts. That he said, like, this group, this group of people tends to use these texts. This group of people tends to use these texts. And he doesn't, he doesn't actually match up with our current canon. Mm-hmm. For people who don't know, canon is like just the structure of the Bible. The, the, all the books in the Bible. Accepted Alton. as relevant and true. Right. Because those non-canonical books are the apocrypha. Because some people decided, nah, these ones aren't real. They yeah. don't tell the story you want to tell. We're not yeah. going to talk about Daniel and the dragon. Mm-hmm. I was always disappointed because I'm like, but there's a dragon. Right. Well, so that's the thing is it's not a dragon. It's a dracone. It alligator. Is, well, I mean, it was probably just a mythical serpent. It didn't actually happen. It was just a, a giant serpent. It's a giant serpent. I was like, well, I want to learn about the giant serpent. Like, oh, he sure. has the Leviathan. They're like, it's probably an alligator. I'm like, no, let me have my water dragon. Yeah. Behemoth, that's a hippopotamus. I'm like, let me have my dinosaur. It was probably, it was actually probably just like a giant mythical beast that came from Mesopotamia. Yeah. But, well, I mean, there, there's, there's, I mean, they have Leviathan, Behemoth, and then I think the Jewish version is Ziz, which is translated in, I think the Mesopotamian maybe is Anzu, <laughs> which is one like, Cats named after the beautiful, Excellent. the beautiful sky god. I thought it was from Avatar. Anzu? Is that not? Who's it? Anzu and Avatar. What's what's the the fire child's name? Zuko. Zuko. That's the other cat. That's Vin. Vin's named after Vin from the Brandon Sanderson book series. Okay. I don't Zuko know. was my fish. My fish Zuko was your was fish. Zuko. That's it. There you go. I was like, how'd you get Zuko? That was my fish. No. Anzu is the sky is directly named after um Ziz, but I liked Anzu better, who is the, the sky counterpart to Leviathan and Behemoth. Got it. So yeah. Anzu was also a, a, a the mythical Anzu was also in the Persona 5 video game series as a boss not a boss as an enemy cool i never played persona 5 i watched my brother play it i don't have that hand-eye coordination <laughs> but he was fighting on to it i'm like not my boy not my baby <laughs> okay <laughs> well good on persona 5. 
yeah get on persona 5 for like going to different cultures or whatever maybe oh yeah I mean, they do. They get different cultures, different different mythical beasts because, I mean, it's definitely Japanese-based, but they do get, like, different mythical beasts because Anzu in Japanese is actually apricot. Okay. Interesting. Or, sorry. My cat, um, Anzu, uh, I don't know what he tried to do. He tried to jump. <laughs> and it didn't work out very well. Nice. And then he made he something made a noise, and then both the cats were bling. <laughs> well, all this is just sleeping here, nice and soft on the dresser. Oh, a good boy, a good puppy. All right, continuing. Continuing. Uh, story. Uh, so, so Josephus wrote a lot of these histories and stuff. Uh, just an important note. Uh, then we have the the Bar Kokhba revolt. Uh, which happened in 132 to 135. It was a revolt, so it was a few years. The Rome kicks just all Jews out of Jerusalem. And, you know, another emperor lets them back in. But mm-hmm. for the moment, they're all kicked out of Jerusalem. So this, you know, goes into Jewish identity stuff. And also, this is early Christianity as well. So the yeah. Christians, who were both Christians and Jews in Jerusalem, were also kicked out of Jerusalem. And this is considered one of the big, like, reasons that they all spread throughout. That and the destruction of the temple, of course. Yeah, that's part of the diaspora, right? Yeah. So here we have some aspects of Jewish identity to go over. Number one, you are no longer able to sacrifice in the temple because it doesn't exist. Pharisees, as I mentioned, are the last large Judean group. So this is uh, why rabbinic Judaism becomes the primary Jewish structure over the next few centuries. Because I mean, like they lost so much of their culture, like you're trying to hold on to what's left. Right. And your religion, like you're trying to hold on to what's left. Right. So oh, there's sure. one thing left. Go for it. Yeah. This is you got the you got the Pharisees and you have oral Torah and all this. So you just yeah. lean full throttle into it. There is this mythical slash legendary, I don't know, uh, quite the correct term to use, thing called the Council of Yamnia, Yavne, Jamnia, Jabna, depends on which language you're pulling it from, where almost certainly didn't happen to be clear. But the Pharisees got together and decided which books were going to be canonical and which what to do moving forward with Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be clear, according to Jewish tradition, there was not a biblical canon until after 132 CE, a mm. hundred years after Jesus. There, that is whenever. There was a strictly, according to legend, set up canon, which means Paul, Jesus, Mark, Luke, John, everything you read in the Christian Testament, if they say scripture or text or anything, we don't know exactly what they're talking about. Oh, so like, I know, like they say like, oh, this was, um, they reference this prophecy and it's like a differently worded prophecy. Like it's the same prophecy. Like they're like, this is in Jeremiah eight one. I don't. That's not a prophecy. But, but like, well, and then you read well, okay. it differently. But that's not. We don't even know if they're mentioning that. Uh, or like so when they say, according to the scriptures, we like, do know they mentioned that. That is oh. exactly what they're mentioning. They are mentioning the Greek version that you do not read in your Bible. Okay, the Greek version. That's the Greek version because that was just the generally accepted version. Um, but there could be like a whole other book. 
that we have no idea even existed because the Pharisees are like, meh, I mean, we're going to destroy. And Jesus could have mentioned it and Paul mm-hmm. could have talked about it, but like, we don't have it. And so. Right. Well, uh, yeah. so, so Jude, the in the book of Jude, Jude, and I think in second Peter, they both. Oh, yeah, there's a weird thing they mentioned. They, they both mentioned first Enoch. Yeah. So for them, maybe that was one of their sacred texts. Or their we community. don't have it. Well, we do have it, sort of. No, we do have it. Yeah. There's evident, like, we have copy, like, fragments of it from Qumran. And uh, that's another thing we'll get to later. But First Enoch is a part of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church canon. We have 66 books in our biblical canon as Protestants. Catholics mm-hmm. have more. And the Ethiopian church has 81 canonical books. So I know that like, I know that Ethiopia had Christianity before Christianity, like before there was white Christianity, because like, we also learned about like the Ethiopian eunuch and like, we know that it was involved, but mm-hmm. like, I don't so, so it's probably racism that we've never yeah. read these books because we're like, oh, they don't know anything because we're racist. Right. And so like we're missing out on all these books that like I would, you know, it's like we even have the Apocrypha and they're like, well, these books don't count, but we don't have like the Ethiopian books. I would love right. to like read those and see like what else is there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, yes, I am going to be looking for dragons, but that is who I am as a person. Yeah. So, so, so if you have any questions about the Nephilim, first Enoch's your place to go. They have a Nephilim there? Yeah, it's a whole, like, the Book of the Watchers is like the first of the five the books. Book the Book of the one. Watchers? Yeah. That's such a cool-sounding book. It super is. The Book of the Watchers? That doesn't even sound like a Bible book. Yeah, there's the, the Book of the Watchers, the Book of the Luminaries. The Book of the Luminaries? It's very Ooh. boring. It's just about the calendar. Oh, that sounds um, cool. Yeah. Uh, and you know you can pull a lot of theology out of it. Like so, so Second Peter and Jude, at least the people who wrote those were reading First Enoch. So so. Why whole... don't we include it in the canon if they mentioned it? We will get there. Okay. Um. So anyway, uh, the Targum, the the two Targumim that we have available to us that the that like come from after. Uh, with the Pharisees, uh, like, you know, they spread out. And so people go up like closer to like the Seleucid, Babylon, Persia, that area. Um, That's really a central hub for rabbinic Judaism in the early days. Um, And so there are, there are two Targumim, uh, the Targum on Kolos, on Kelos and Targum Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so these are Aramaic translationed, of the Hebrew Bible. And they have, uh, there's evidence of these from Qumran, like proto-Targumim, but they have extra words that our Hebrew Bible does not, which means that they were translated, uh, so so the Septuagint, which tra- uh-huh. uh, some of it was added by the Greek authors, and some of it was translated from a Hebrew text that we do not have. Oh, Aramaic, the Targumim are also translated from Hebrew texts that we do not have or and slash or have their own additions as well. 
Uh-huh. The Targumim are much closer to our Hebrew Bible now, uh, much closer than the Septuagint. It's not really used for liturgy, but it is used for some Midrashic stuff. Midrash meaning uh, Midrash is a big part of the Jewish rabbinic Judaism. It's sort of how you pass along these uh, oral oral Torah that we've discussed. You know, uh, it's from the Hebrew is weird. Um, it's just Semitic languages like Arabic, Aramaic. I say it's weird to us. It's not actually weird. In fact, it's probably part of the language that became our current system of letters. Actually, it definitely is. So uh, it's Midrashic is three letters. It's made out of three letters. Dalit, Resh, Sheen, or D-R, and then there are three letters for S, Samek, Sin, and Sheen. And so this is a Sheen, and so D-R-S-H is a Seek. And so whenever you put an M in front of it, it becomes Midrash, which means Seeking, or, yeah, Hmm. Seeking, basically. It's the noun form it is the participial form we also have the talmuds which uh, are less important for what we're discussing but important for just general knowledge of jewish thing is a collection of rabbinic work there are two different talmuds there's the jerusalem talmud and the babylonian talmud the jerusalem talmud was in about in the fourth century in jerusalem the babylonian talmud was written about 500 ce in the babylonian area these are very important for rabbinic Judaism. It's a primary source for of halakha, which is like law, how to live life. Uh, there are two parts, the Mishnah and the Gemara. And the, uh, yeah, Gemara. Uh, the Mishnah is the law, now written down, like oral Torah law, like what the Pharisees mm-hmm. are sharing. Uh, it contains examples and explains how to live. The Gemara is commentary on that. So, so you see how like there's commentary on commentary on commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is this is how it goes. Midrash is even further commentary. It's a whole thing. But now we turn to Christianity. Finally, something I know something about. <laughs> We've been talking for two hours. <laughs> we have been. I'm like, maybe we gotta. This might have to be a two-parter. Yeah. Oh, it'll definitely have to be a two-parter. I knew that <laughs> going into this. <laughs> maybe like three or four parts. Yeah. So this is a multi-part episode, but that's yeah. okay because I am learning so much. Yeah. Everyone else is too. Yeah. So uh, we have the, the turn to Christianity. There are many different versions of the texts in the first 300 years. We know this. We have documents of it. We have eight throughout. We have more than 8,000 different versions of different texts. Um, right. And they all disagree with each other and all that. Whatever. Yeah. So we have Marcion. Do you know anything about Marcion? Marcion. No, I don't recognize the name do you know anything about gnosticism with a g gnosticism yeah. yes i yes. do know about gnosticism what do you know about gnosticism? gnosticism gnosticism is you know because agnosticism is you don't know sure i never really got gnosticism but i understood what agnosticism was good well gnosticism, kind of like gnosticism yes. doesn't exist okay uh, people thought it exists, and people will argue with me and say that it does ex- that it did exist. It did not exist. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm channeling Melanie Johnson DeBoffray for this, and Karen King, and other people. It was there was this idea. Um, it's early Christians. Uh, they they had different ideas about 
what Christianity meant compared to Judaism, about Jesus. There were just a lot of different Christian groups with a lot of different texts, writing a mm-hmm. lot of different texts. There, there's like the Shepherd of Hermas. There is the Gospel of Thomas. There is so many different texts. Enoch, there, there are different books of Enoch. Like, like there was no set s- collection of uh, Christian texts, even mm-hmm. at this point, not even a set collection of Jewish texts, right? So, so you're reading a whole bunch of different books, different people consider different books scripture, and people are writing at this point books that would become, throughout different points of Christianity, sacred texts. Okay. This was before that, like, medieval council then. Yes. Way before that medieval council that was yes. like, this is what the Bible this is. This is like within the first two centuries of Christianity existing. That, yeah, I don't know much about the, I guess I know like early Christianity is like we had Jesus. And then we had the council that decided what the Bible was. And in between, we had a lot of Roman Colosseums. Yeah. Yeah. Like gladiators and lions. and Right. I'm not even going to talk about that part. That part doesn't (laughs) super matter for our conversation. That was the part they showed us, though. And and Mm -hmm. they showed us all the violent stuff. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian. Right. Well, that's by a lion. Yeah. Well, think of think of how that makes you feel or how that makes people feel now. It is oh, it's leaning definitely into, intentional. Yes, it is it leaning into Christian martyrdom, right? Oh, yeah. So we are currently martyrs now, and these are the people that came before us. Yes, and we need to do, there's the whole book of the martyrs, and then mm-hmm. there was that, that book about the Columbine school shooting, which what turns out to be made up. Right. I mean, it's terrible about the shooting and terrible mm-hmm. about the girl who died, but the whole She Said Yes book was completely made up, but that we were taught like, you know, oh yeah, someone comes into school with a gun and is just like, do you believe in Jesus? You better say yes and then you'll die, but yeah. you'll die for Jesus. Yeah. Like, that was all I am in fourth grade. Yeah. It's so crazy. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, there's so many, it's like every day there's something new. I'm like, did we watch that? Did we learn that? Did they tell us that? Like, did, did we... All the whole, like, the, what is it? The war between Catholicism and Protestants. If we're going back to uh, Martin Luther King, like, mm-hmm. when they had, like, you know, people who wouldn't renounce Christianity, so they'd, like, rip their tongues out and burn them at the stake. It's like, we watched a video of that, like, mm-hmm. a dramatic reenactment. And I'm like, I remember seeing in the movie screen of, like, you know, someone getting their tongue ripped out. So it was, like, you know, movie magic. But at the same time, when you're, like, you know, a teenager is still kind of traumatic. Yeah, I'm sure. Gosh, that's crazy. Really? Also, oh, yeah, like, and they had it on like a stick and they're like doing that and they burn the guy at the stake and he's like, whoa, because he doesn't have a tongue anymore. And it's just like, all right. That's not okay to show high schoolers. No. You have but to, it you was have to for choose. Bible class. You have to choose to opt into that. You can't just be forced into that. But we so. didn't get that choice. It was just, we were just watching the movie. Right, we had to get permission to watch like the PG-13 movie, The Outsiders, but not martyrdom. Yeah, that's that's so unethical, immoral. That's, or that's or the abortion video. We didn't have to get permission to watch that one either. That one was definitely like watching an abortion. That's crazy. That's crazy. And I'm like, it was only just recently. I'm like, I actually did watch like someone have an abortion on TV in Bible class. 
with scary intense classical music in the background. But was it actually an abortion or was it just reenactment? It was just, no, there was a lot of blood coming out of a vagina. Okay. That's not how abortions work, I'm sure. No, but it was definitely for um, for a young high schooler. It's traumatic. Uh, and yeah. plus with the scary intense music, it's just like, oh, okay, this is this is evil. This is bad. Mm-hmm. This is gross. Yeah, that's not how abortions happen, though. <laughs> no, it was definitely it was they they showed the very like the surgical ones, not the chemically induced ones. Got it. Okay. But at the same time, I'm wondering, I'm like, how did they get a camera up there to also, film everything if they were actually doing one? Also, most abortions happen in the the first trimester, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Like, like, it's not even big enough to, like... I don't know what I was watching. There was just a lot of blood coming out of a vagina. That's crazy. It, you know, it, you know, it... Yeah, it... <laughs> I don't even know what it was. It was definitely crazy, though. And I, that's something that that's been like what I've been processing these last couple of weeks is like, I did watch that. That's so weird. I did watch that. That's really weird. That's not OK. No, it's not. For, forcing high school students to watch someone give birth is its own problem. Yeah. Well, because we watched that, but we hadn't had sex ed yet. <laughs> You know, I say there's a lot of blood coming out of a vagina, but I really don't know what I was looking at. I mean, completely <laughs> honest, there was blood, though. Got it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty terrible. That sucks. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? Did I just, I'm like, I don't even know. It's hard to, like, re-get this memory in my, to, like, recapture this memory. Because I'm like, I'm not sure if I don't remember it well because I don't know what I was looking at or because it was mm-hmm. so traumatic. I like tried to repress it probably both because at the time I definitely like I had had the sex talk uh-huh. but like I didn't know like full anatomy of stuff until like I took human anatomy in college yeah that makes sense yup <laughs> I'm sorry that's, that's a rough time they really should have taught you that stuff. Uh, well, I think my mom tried, but she would always be like, do you want to read this book? Here's pictures of a girl's legs. And I'm like, no. That's weird. I don't want to read this. Yeah. Like, I am insecure enough in myself as is. I didn't realize it was part of being, like, non-binary. But also, it was just like, this is the worst timing, mom. I'm trying to study mm-hmm. for an exam. I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation with you right now. (laughs) Also, I had the sex talks with my two younger sisters. We all had it at the same time. So like, you can't really ask questions because I'm too busy feeling uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and feeling my two younger sisters who have not gone through puberty yet staring at me because somebody has gone through puberty and they're (laughs) looking at me like, oh, you have, oh, oh, that makes, and I'm like, oh, don't look at me. That's weird. Why am I here? It was terrible. Yeah. I don't know. That was, yeah. I don't know why my parents decided to give everyone the sex talk at the same time. Definitely yeah. bad idea. Yeah. Definitely Six a bad idea. Six years older than my youngest sister. Six years older than her. Mm-hmm. We had it at the same time. So somebody had it too early. Somebody had it too late. 
Somebody probably had the right time. Probably both. <laughs> probably all three. I think Annie had it at the right time. I was too late. Laney was too early. Mm-hmm. Archer was also too late. I think he also had it the same day. I think my parents just did sex talk day. Okay. Got it. I yeah. mean, for guys, it's less less of a thing. Yeah. Archer said it wasn't. Bodies. Archer just said dad kind of threw a book at him. Like, read this. Ask me if you have any questions. Yeah. And we were like, this is what happens to the body. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bless you, my child. Oh, I know. I was just like, it finally, like, it was literally in the reproductive system. I was like, oh. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Anyway, back anyway, to the Gnostics. Back to the Gnostics. So, Synostics didn't exist. Uh, they they existed somewhat. They existed as much as there were a whole bunch of different Christian groups believing a whole bunch of different Christian things. And some survived and some didn't. So Marcion, who sort of like his ideas were sort of later called Marcionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, he believed that like the God of the Hebrew Bible wasn't the actually God. And there was another, or like was a, a second God. And like the real God was like fully like incorporeal, non-physical and Jesus was non-physical and, like, didn't actually touch the ground or anything physical, but just, like, floated or whatever, right? Okay. Widely well, accepted. Really man, not really, okay. Yeah. So I mentioned him because some people, so, so, first of all, he really loved Paul and called Paul the true, the only true apostle. Okay. I've heard that before. At some point, he donates a whole bunch of money to the Roman church. And then later is later expelled and has all of his money returned. And he goes and like lives um, in Asia Minor, which is. Um, I'm surprised they returned the money, honestly. I mean, you know, it was the early church. Um, and he also collected the first known Christian canon, likely created from multiple copies of Pauline letters. Definitely Paul, definitely like used Pauline letters based everything that he said around Pauline letters. All right. Uh, and he definitely had control over multiple churches. Okay. In Asia Minor. We know this. We also know that he paid a lot of money to uh, have Paul's letters copied and sent out to multiple different churches. Wow. Oh. And again, remember, this is early Christianity. There is no canon, a bunch of people using a bunch of different texts. So some people theorize, and again, this is in the realm of theory. Uh, it is not fully accepted. I don't know, whatever. It, it, it's, but some people theorize that the reason that Paul's letters were spread throughout, that are, are part of the Christian Testament, is this person paying lots of money to get Paul's letters spread throughout the Roman Empire. See, I'd heard about Paul's letters being copied and spread, but I thought that was like when he was writing them, like people would just copy them down and send to other churches. That did happen. That's, I, I only heard about that happening. I did not hear about Marcion also doing this. Yeah, Marcion did this. We know Marcion did this. We do not know how much it influenced the Christian. Mm-hmm. Pull from that what you want. I personally believe that it probably had something to do with it but not entirely everything to do with it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like if there's enough money, like people like might have already liked them, but definitely, you know, um, if there's like a wealthy donor, 
who especially likes it. It's like, well, let's make sure we include this. Like we yeah. liked it, but you know, we'll really make sure we include this because, you know, we'll have like 17 books from him because we like this guy a lot. Yeah. And everyone seems yeah. to like him. And so right. I can see how there would be more than just mm-hmm. the, the letters themselves. Yeah. For sure. But also like, just to show how diverse the Christian church was, he was kicked out of Rome for heresy, but he was in, he was like the leader of a bunch of churches in Asia Minor. Yeah. So, so this, there was no Christianity as a whole. Yeah. It was it's still very not united. A bunch of very, very small groups, all with different ideas, using different books, writing books. So at this point, uh, we turn, we jump forward, like, I don't know, like 50 years. 50, 60 years, to Origin and the Hexapla. Origin and the Hexapla. Hexapla. So Origin is one of the early church fathers. You can read some of his stuff. We got some some documents that he had written. Originator father. He's one of the originals. He's an I mean, OG. Uh, we would call him an apostolic father. It was a, it was a origin as an original. <laughs> apostolic father doesn't yeah. quite have the same as og to it but no but sure he was he was he was an og um right. he's also uh because people often do not mention how much africa played a role in the christian early christian church origin was african as was augustine really uh, yeah augustine of hippo it's hippos everyone loves augustine yeah augustine was african now was he was he probably descended from Greek people and was just born in Africa? Yes. But being but but you there are so many different groups in Africa that he was probably like somewhat drew drew some inspiration and some ideas from Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Well they so, never yeah. mentioned that. Everyone loves Augustine. Yeah. He was it he seems was, like yeah. strangely convenient they'd leave that part out. Yeah. Yes, you yeah, some somewhat weird. A lot of the apostolic fathers were. I have a list somewhere, not gonna bring it up. Just know a lot of those people were. Origen noticed that there were a bunch of different uh, texts for the Hebrew Bible that disagreed with each other. They weren't they weren't all together. So again, just to reiterate, in the late 230s CE, there was no single version of the books. There were a bunch of different versions that Christians were using, and the versions they were using were in Greek. Mm-hmm. He collected all of these, and uh, it's called the Hexapla now. There were six Hexapla because there were six of them. Yeah. So on, on the thing he created, he, he took like all the books and like placed them next to each other. And so from left to right, these are what he used. So for this left, he used Proto-Masoretic Greek. Again, the Masoretes didn't exist yet, so everything is Proto-Masoretic in terms of mm-hmm. Uh, next was Hebrew transliterated into Greek. Transliterated, transliterated is just like um, using Greek letters to try to approximate the sound. This yeah. Is why get, yeah. This is why we get uh, Jesus, because Greek does not have a Y sound. Like Jehovah instead of Yahweh. Yes. We go back so, to Indiana Jones. Yeah. So first of all, we don't use those terms. Oops. For, for the time being, I will use them to explain why we don't use them. Jehovah is based on a misunderstanding of the way the Masoretic text works. So that's just wrong. Okay. 
uh, yod Hey vav Hey, I'm not going to actually say the name, is God's name, and we do not say God's name. Uh, okay. To respect the tradition, uh, the Jewish tradition, uh, I, I'm, I'm even overstepping. Some Jews place G-D because they do not say even the English equivalent. So in order to respect the ancient people and contemporary Jews, not all, some Jews are okay with it, some Jews aren't. We just say yod Hey vav Hey. We don't say the Lord because that is putting a masculine title. And the only reason that it's masculine is because, as we discussed, Hebrew is either masculine or feminine, and masculine just sort of encompasses everything. Mm-hmm. So yod Hey vav Hey, the Holy One, God. Uh, some Jews use the term Hashem, which is translated to the name. You can call it the Tetragrammaton, which is... So is saying, like, God, is that, if we're talking about, like, in a Christian setting, if we say God, is that, like, very taboo if, like, a Jewish person, you know, who practiced Judaism walked into the church and we're all, like, talking about God and singing about God? Is that taboo? So so there, there are, like, as many different versions of Judaism as there are of Christianity, but to summarize it, like to like break it down, there are like four major groups of Jews on a spectrum from like very conservative Orthodox Jews to reformed Jews. Some are okay with it. Some are not. Some are okay with you pronouncing the tetragrammaton, which is tetragramma, four letters, yod, he, vav, he. Okay. Okay. Some are okay with that. Just in general, as a respect to them, if not out of a respect to God, do not pronounce that name. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's Dr. Gaffney's position. That is my position. Okay. Sometimes I slip. Again, just one of those things that happens. But, but yeah, I can I, say God. God's fine. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. God in Hebrew is Ale. That is not God's name. It is just Ale. In fact, there is a God that is named Ale. We'll get into that a different time. Ale? Like A-A-L? Yeah. Like E-L. E-L-O-L. Yeah. Okay. Except like, except it's 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 with a it's a long fancy Hebrew's weird. It's a long E, so it's A. <laughs> like A. Like okay. I hate or whatever. Hey, ale. Ale. Okay. Yeah. I was just making sure it wasn't spelled like A-A-L, like Baal. Uh no, but by the way, Baal in Hebrew just means Lord or Master. I thought he was an evil. I mean, no, it's just an it's it, so there is a deity named Baal. But also, a person who owned slaves was also a Baal because it's just the the name. It, it's okay. Just the title. I mean, they use it in like the Book of Judges, like they worship Baal and they have their Asherah poles. Yeah. So, so, so Asherah is like yeah. the bad is one yeah. of the the foreign deities that was not God and therefore it was bad. Right. But he wasn't Molech bad. Right. So in in Canaanite and like West Semitic groups ale was Baal's father okay so Baal is like jesus right uh yeah sort i mean that's bad because uh, Baal was actually the king of the gods okay so 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 it's like chronos and zeus yeah like chronos and zeus okay except, uh, except ale was better than chronos Oh, so, yeah, so, well, it's, it's hard to, there's, yeah. I can't find very many good parallels. Right. Yeah, but just, just want to make sure we, it's, it's a good thing to talk about. Ale, because Ale is father god, 
Ale just becomes the general term for a deity. Ale. Okay. Um, just, just it's used so much. Just like we use God, we have like gods and goddesses, and then we have big yeah. God. So there's yeah. ale, and then there's big e ale. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, so it's sort of like that, and then there's bale, and then there's big b bale. Okay. And so, if you have a bunch of gods, they are ale ohim. Elohim. Okay. Right. Um, and, yeah. and that's also a term that we use for big G God. Yes. If you have a bunch of people who own, who like a bunch of rulers, they can be called Bales. Okay. It becomes very complicated, and this is part of the point of translation. Gotcha. Um, to the to the uh, hexapla again. From left to right, there's proto Masoretic Hebrew transliterated into Greek, and then you have a version of Aquila, which is just a version of the Greek text. And then you have a version of Symmachus, which is a version of the Greek text. And then you have a version of Theodotion, which is a version of the Greek text. And then you have, this is the big deal, an annotated Septuagint, an annotation Greek version that Origen wrote to note the differences between the Hebrew and the Greek. And he sort of harmonized the Hebrew and the Greek. So he would say, he would like take stuff out of the Greek versions Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other versions were already a little bit turned to the Hebrew, so they're not even the original yeah. versions of those texts. They were changed to look more like the Hebrew. And so Origen did that more in this sixth column. Okay. Uh, sorry, the, the, the fifth column. Um, the fifth column became the standard Septuagint. So this okay, is and what, that's the version that he made look more like the, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, yeah, sort of like okay. trying to mix them all and like noting what the differences were. And yeah. two people, I don't recall their names, I'm not going to look it up, uh, really liked his version of that. So so they took that column and copied it down and shared that, right? So this okay. version that most Christians were using that had access to this text, because like the wealthy Christians were the only people that could buy it, right? Yeah. So, so this version that was made out of other versions and corrected and changed, quote-unquote corrected, it was changed to okay. more like the Hebrew, is what became known as the Septuagint, and this is what Christian people were using, right? Okay. So we got, like, the Spark Notes version, like, the really good Spark Notes version. Yeah. But, but um, so this is very important uh, because the earliest Christians, one, knew that there were many different versions of the text. They knew that the Greek and the Hebrew did not agree. And they were also using a version that was in no way original that they knew was created by origin. Yeah. So this, it's very important to know this as part of the history of the Bible, because our own version of the Bible is its own thing to deal with. Right. Yeah, but we are taught that it never changes and that it's been the same all the time. But we just keep getting more and more. You just keep telling more and more stories of like. You know, oh no, would not the original Bible as it has never been changed, but this is the original Bible as it is mm-hmm. brought by origin, and this is his version. Yeah. So we just it's not an unchanging document. It's been constantly changed and edited and you know, annotated and then summarized and and I'll, I'll give you a little sneak peek into later. It continues to be. Right. So, so the versions that we have now. The, I, I, I looked through them to, earlier today. The mm-hmm. NIV, NKJV, the NRSV, the CEB, uh, and some other versions, like the Inclusive Bible, they all 
use the Hebraica Biblia Stuttgartensia, which is just the Hebrew Bible, and then the Nestle Alond Greek version. And the Nestle Alond version is five people who are currently alive, mm-hmm. two of them are married to each other. Okay. Get together every few years, and they've been doing research over the last few years, and they take and, and they sit around together, these five people, and they vote on what the new Nestle Alond version is going to look like. The current version okay. is version 28. So there have been 28 versions of this. Um, are these people who are voting on the Bible and what version the Bible looks like? Yeah, so so they look at these for for the for the Christian testament in Greek, mm-hmm. they take thousands of documents and they sit together and they vote on what they think the original version would have looked like based on all of these documents. And okay. they do it like I don't know exactly, but let's say every five years. And so, like they they uh, it's called the Nestlealon now. It didn't used to be because another group of people were doing it. So every few years, the Christian Testament in the original Greek, I'm using quotes, Mm -hmm. are voted on and changed. We're on the 28th edition, and I believe the 2014 NIV is based on this 28th edition. The NRSV is based on like the 22nd or whatever edition. And do we know like these people... Where do they, are they like American? No. I mean, they're not. They're German. They're German. Okay. It's just, it sounds, it just, it it just sounds kind of sketch when you just have like a very small group of people deciding something for like everyone. Yeah. Like an entire religion. It sounds kind of sketchy. If, If I haven't made it clear, if you look at the preface of your Bible, if it, if you read it and it says that it's based in the Nestle Alond or the Hebraica Biblia Stuttgartensia or the Hebrew Bible Stuttgart, this is what I'm talking about. Now, the Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia doesn't change much at all. Or th- that is a solid version that has been around since like the 70s. Do they vote on like based off of new research that's been done? Yes. And these are like the top people in their field. Okay. Right? And oh, so they're constantly, yes. they're, they're, constantly reading articles and stuff and arguments that are being made about which one is closer to the original. Okay. But again, this is the 28th version of this text of this. So it's not an unchanging document there. I mean, I'm glad that it's constantly like they're trying to get it as close as to the original as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, why are you telling us that in Sunday school, this is an unchanging document that is 100% perfect and no errors are in it. And like when it's, I don't know, the version we're using is being voted on every five years by people who are currently alive and, you know, did not live during that time. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so, so what they're building is called the Vorlage which is a theoretical original version. Mm. Um, so they're trying to get at the original version. Yeah. Now, if you ask someone like me, I'm going to say, we cannot get at the original version because we don't have the original version. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like from what we talked about, like so much is incomplete. We don't have all the pieces. So like we're trying to 
put a puzzle together, but we don't have the picture and we don't have all the pieces. So we're like, well, I think this one fits, but like, we don't know what the picture is because mm-hmm. we don't have the box. We just have random puzzle pieces and we're trying to fit them together. And it's just like, well, I think this one fits really well. And then we get better research and it's like, no, maybe this one fits. Right. And it's just like, well, we can't know what right. it is, but people are out there going, no, the puzzle is definitely, it's definitely like a hot air balloon puzzle. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, oh no, it's a rainbow puzzle. And right. Yeah. There's ice cream. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, mm, and they right. don't teach us this. And yeah. And they don't know it. Like it's not their fault. They just don't read the preface to their Bible. <laughs> and the people who do, like, I would assume a pastor would read the preface to their Bible, but if they As, don't, then I mean, like, and also they, I, mean, I, I didn't. They probably don't know, even if they know how to use the Nestle Aland and they use the Nestle Aland to translate. There's a decent chance that they didn't read the preface to that. Yeah, which Oof. explains their theory and the ideas behind it, and also that the preface to it is in like. German, French, English, and I think Latin. All right. Right? Like, you know, it's its own thing. Anyway, so yeah, that's a precursor to what we'll discuss later. Anyway, we have Origin and all these different versions of the Bible or of the Hebrew Bible that he used. Um, and he, quote unquote, corrected. Mm-hmm. Uh, next piece is the, the Codex Sinaiticus. You can look this up online, and it's very badly coded, but, like, you can view it online. Guess where the Codex Sinaiticus is stored? We have it. It is it is the oldest known complete Christian Bible in Greek around the mid-4th century that we have available to us. Where it's stored? Yes, where it is stored. Is it Hobby Lobby? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Five different places. One copy, five parts of it spread throughout because different museums or countries or whatever have parts of it. So it's like a horcrux? Sort of. Like, like, okay. yeah, like it's it, a whole it's, document. It's not, it's not is, it, is it scattered in different pieces because to like protect it? Or is it because everyone's like, oh, I want to display this. I can get it's, money it's from this. I, I don't know exactly the politics okay. behind it. But like part of it's in Russia, part of it's in Germany. Like okay, uh, there might be a few in Germany, but by different held by held by different universities. The oldest known complete Christian Bible in Greek around the mid fourth century. To translate that for you, in the three hundreds CE. There's some books that we have in our canon that they do not have, and there's some books in their canon, like the Shepherd of Hermas and the Epistle of Barnabas that we do not have in our Bible, right? So as of the 300s, still not set in stone, still disagreeing over this. Yeah. And also it's in a very different order than the order we have it in. So uh, if you want to look at this, it's Codex Sinaiticus, Codex, C-O-D-E-X, Sinaiticus, S-I-N-A-I-T-I-C-U-S. You, if you look it up, you can get, uh, they they got all these these five places together to make photocopies of it, and you can look at it online. Around the same time as this, also in the 300s, we have Jerome, you know, who wrote, who, who translated the Vulgate. Yeah. He lived, he lived around 347 to 420. <laughs> Blaze it. <laughs> um, he created the Latin Vulgate, which was the major Catholic version for 
I mean, I think partially still, if you want it in Latin. Yeah, um, the Latin Vulgate. I remember, I mean, like it was, a, it's still in the subtext, like the, this was the way it is in the Vulgate. Yeah. Like it's still mentioned in the Bible and yeah. like the little the preface. notations. Yeah. yeah. And not yeah. the preface and the little notes at the bottom. Got it. Yeah. So this guy, Jerome, very important figure. Sometimes the church liked him, sometimes they didn't. But what he did is he was trained partially by Jews, by like, I think rabbis at this point. It's okay to say. I'm not sure when rabbinic Judaism fully started. Um, but he was trained by Jews like in Palestine. And so he actually used the Hebrew text to translate the Vulgate, which is new. This is the first time that the Bible itself like uh, was reliant on the Hebrew rather than the Greek primarily. And uh, this is also, you know, the second oldest version of the Bible that we know of. Um, I don't even know if we have any copies of it. We just know he did it. And uh, he also pushed the additions to the, the, he's the person that like the addition to Esther, the additions to um, Daniel or whatever, the mm -hmm. metal on the dragon. He's the reason that it's not part of the book itself, but because it's only in the Greek and not the Hebrew, he pushes it all to the back of the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Okay. So he looks at the Jewish canon and says, hey, they don't have Tobit or Judith in this. And so that cannot be part of our canon. And so he pushes it into the deuterocanonical section. Okay. Deutero meaning second, second canon. So yeah. it's important. Not like Deuteronomy section. Right. Yeah. It's important. It's just not in the Jewish text. And so we have to put it to the back because uh, he, wants, he wants to hold tight to that. Also, he was trying to work. He's like one of the first people that was like, I want to work with as close as possible the original documents. And so some versions of some versions of the text were different and changed in what was generally accepted by Christians at this time. Uh, say the Codex Sinaiticus. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, but that's not in the oldest version in the Hebrew, and so I'm not going to put it in there. And the Pope's like, you should put it in there. And he's like, no. Did there? It's not in the oldest text that I have, and so the Pope fakes documents or has people oh. fake documents and put. And so Jerome's like, "Well, you gave me these documents that I requested, and they look old enough, so I'm going to put it in." Oh man! Yeah. So again, politics of church and definitely uh, translation. Yeah. So the people in charge get things that they want in mm -hmm. by being distruthful. Yes. All right. Um, and again, nothing against Catholics. This was something that happened like 1600 years ago. Like, it still happens today. Yes, it still happens today by Protestants and less so Catholics, because a lot of the time they're building off of like the Vulgate. At least the um, they're doing like more contemporary stuff. But, you know, it happened in Mormonism, the whole like white salamander. Yeah. Thing. Like that was a whole completely that was a forgery it was made up by someone to get money and then i mean i watched a netflix documentary on it and then he did some bombing stuff so it was like a true crime documentary Got it. but like it still happens just like mm -hmm. you forge things and see what happens yeah yeah it happened in the king james version as well whenever it was translated in 1611 into english but that's the version that jesus used <laughs> <laughs> oh finally um so anyway uh, at this point, so you mentioned a council where, like, yes. uh, 
the, the medieval the, council. The medieval council. It was actually like in the 500s, 400s, 500s, 600s, somewhere around there. Okay. They didn't actually decide on a canon. As far as I am aware, there was no actual council where they decided on the Christian canon. They just started using this one. Okay. Um, again, this one meaning the Catholic version, sort of. And I'm saying this important. I'm saying this specifically because the next section is just a small aside on the Oriental Orthodox churches. Oriental has its own issues using the language. That's just the general way it's assigned. I don't know a better way to describe them because uh, it's not Orthodox churches because that's a whole other church. Yeah. It's this this non-Catholic, non-Eastern Orthodox, non-Protestant group of churches that are all sort of like their own group. There's the Coptic Orthodox Church of Alexandria, the Syriac Orthodox Church of Antioch, the Armenian Apostolic Church, the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church, the Ethiopian Orthodox Tewahedo Church, and the Eritrean Orthodox Tewahedo Church. I pronounced it all of those incorrectly. These are important to note because they were kicked out of the church. Because we talk about Jesus as uh, 100% man, 100% God. Mm-hmm. They do not. For them, Jesus and Jesus, the man and God, I don't remember the correct, the actual terminology for this. Um, for them, these groups of churches, they were kicked out around like 500, 600, somewhere around there. Because they believed that uh, Jesus the God and human part were so wrapped up that it was just one, one, mm-hmm. part, right? And remember, like people are disagreeing about this, and they get kicked out. So, one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man versus one hundred percent Jesus, and it's so wrapped up that you cannot talk about it as two separate ideas. Okay. Right. So they're they're kicked out. So some notes: the Syriac Orthodox Church of Antioch, uh, they use the Peshitta, which is another translation <coughs> of the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Testament. There uh, are several differences from the texts used in Western Europe. And, you know, just, just to know that like, oh, look, there's yet another version that Christians were using all this time and that they still use. Oh my goodness. You have the Armenian Apostolic Church, which is rooted more in the Septuagint than the actual Hebrew Bible. And they consider the Deuterocanonical books fully canonical. The Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church is the Indian Orthodox Church. I don't have enough information about them. It's hard to find it. And as I mentioned, the Orthodox Tewahedo Church use 81 books in their canon. And so, like, just yeah, simply... All the stuff. that yeah. like That's the Ethiopian one. They have everything. Like, I'm so interested in that, that one in particular just because, like, you know, they were, you know, like... Ethiopia is mentioned in the Bible itself mm-hmm. in the books that we have in the canon. So it's like, I feel like, you know, we know there was contact. Like, I feel like their books would be really interesting and probably very insightful. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I want to know, you know, I don't know why I've decided that these books aren't cool, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, I mentioned this for that exact reason, which is whenever we say the Bible, what we mean is the Bible as it is used by Protestant churches in mm. Western Europe and the United States. Ah. Right? Yes. So whenever you yes. talk about the Bible and the Bible being an errant or the Bible being sacred, it's you just mean... The... Go ahead. 
The Western white person Bible. Yes. Woo. Because otherwise you are saying, if you, if you, if you mean that you are saying that the Bible used by these other Christians is not sacred, is not inerrant, is not whatever. So either you have to acknowledge that the Bible is shifting and different and is not this holy set, set book, holy set apart, but is in fact controlled and used by humans and shaped by humans, even if you say that they prayed and God led them. Different churches use different Bibles. And so to say this is the Bible, you are saying those people are not Christian. Oh my gosh. Because they don't even teach us this. They like, we need to send Bibles to all these countries. And, you know, but it's like, what do we need to send? We need to have like the, the pioneer Bible translators and translate like, yes, I'm all for, you know, like, we should have so much other stuff. Like, you know, there's plenty of books I want to read that aren't the Bible that are like, you know, need to be translated. And I'm like, I, you know, yeah, I want them to be translated so I can read them because <laughs> I don't speak whatever language that they're originally written in. Uh, Coptic like, is, and yeah. Yeah. But it's like, but we just assume that, you know, oh yeah, we need to go and, you know, even if they do have their Bible, we need to give them our Bible because our Western white Bible is the correct Bible. Yes. And it's the only good Bible we have. Like, who cares about your 81 books? That's, you know, um, 81 minus 66 books too many. Because mm-hmm. yep. it's not white and Western, yep. which is obviously the correct proper thing. And, and, and to be clear, Catholic churches who make up more than 50% of Christians worldwide use more books than what you mean as a Protestant person. So, and and I want to add as a short aside, if we want to talk about whether or not people thought slavery was okay in the 1800s and 1700s, people, whenever they sent Bible to the Caribbean island or Bibles to the Caribbean islands, whenever they sent, whenever they allowed enslaved black people to read in the United States, those versions of the Bible did not have the book of Exodus in it. Some of them did, some of them didn't. It depends on who was doing the sharing. But that means that people knew that holding enslaved people was against the Bible because of Exodus. Even if other places it's okay, they knew that allowing an African or African-American or Afro-Caribbean or Black person to read Exodus would cause problems. So they knew that it was immoral. Anyway, and they, they changed the Bible. That they, um, those verses in the, the Paul books, you know, it's like husbands, you know, be nice to your wives, wives, submit mm-hmm. to your husbands, slaves, do what your master says. Master, yeah. be nice to your slaves. They just kind of cut that part out. Yeah. You and, know, they're like. Um, yeah. And uh, Howard Thurman, who was a big uh, African-American person, I don't remember what time period, but he was a big deal. Um, his grandmother would not let him read Paul's letters because Paul supported slavery. I want to be clear, Paul supported slavery. Yeah, he did because there was who was it? Um, 
that one dude and a slave who was it? It's the whole Philemon and his Philemon's yeah. enslaved person. Yes, it's like there's a whole book about it, and like there was this stupid song though they sing, and huh? Onesimus. Oh yeah, or Philemon, yeah. But there's this whole stupid song we sang. Do you remember? It was in a symposium one day, and who was that? Like Cameron Cox was leading the present, like the was leading. Mm-hmm. This kid was leading the worship, and he's like, he read this book. He read a verse from like the the Pentateuch. It was like Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How mm-hmm. like when the slave decides he wants to be a slave forever, he like you know, mm-hmm. gets his ear pierced with the all, and then he starts singing a song. And I never heard this song before, but it was literally song like, "Pierce my ear, O Lord, to Thee." And it was just like, okay, so we're just like glorifying slavery. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Also, this is the randomest song ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My cat was trying to get into my backpack. <laughs> I'm like all my data's in there, please don't. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a whole thing. Uh, like like there are different bibles and the bible to some extent says slavery is okay so we have to say no it's not i mean the bible also like you know god told israelites he's like yeah yeah go kill everyone go do some genocide totally cool it's not cool man like not cool like morally speaking uh no we shouldn't go killing innocent women and children because they're in your way like no that's a very colonizer attitude absolutely all right thank you for listening to this episode once again as last time abigail's not here and i'm messing with the episode a little bit uh but thank you uh from the bottom of our hearts if you have any suggestions any comments please email us at podcast at unlearningchildhood.com uh my Twitter handle is Joshua underscore A underscore Turpin, T-U-R-P-I-N, and theirs is AsgardianMead61, that is uh, A-S-G-A-R-D-I-A-N-M-E-A-D-6-1, and uh, please reach out to us if you have any questions, any corrections, anything that we got wrong. Thank you to Kai Jorgensen for the use of his song, Coffee and Cigarettes, for the intro and outro, and to Dear Bits for our thumbnail. Have a great day.